It, it's the World Wide Sports Radio Network. Broadcasting from coast to coast. City to city, coast to coast. It's time for the Ryan Hickey Show on the World Wide Sports Radio Network. If it's happening in sports, it's being talked about right here. And here's your host, Ryan Hickey. Good Monday morning. Welcome in to the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. It is the Ryan Hickey Show with you here for the next two hours as we roll along on this President's Monday. So hopefully you have a, a you had, I should say, a great weekend. Fingers crossed most of you are off on this Monday enjoying the three-day weekend. Never a bad thing, especially the middle of February. Never a bad thing to have something to look forward to. Never a bad thing to have a nice little three-day vacay anytime. So whether you are off and joining us on this Monday morning, thank you very much for even though your normal day is kind of off-kilter, still sticking to the routine of joining us. And if you're working, well, welcome to the club. Join the club. We will at least make this Monday, hopefully for the next two hours, a little bit more enjoyable for you. We got a load show. We absolutely have a jam-packed show for you. Unfortunately, on Friday, we found out some negativity when it comes to the college football playoff expansion. Not happening. I think it's an awful, awful day for the sport and any, uh, everyone involved. I'll tell you why that is. Aaron Rodgers, should there be apprehension from either the Packers or another team trading? For Aaron Rodgers, there's an interesting angle here that a Packers reporter kind of threw out there, kind of showing that why there's one area that some teams are doubting Aaron Rodgers in. We'll tell you about that area and if it's true or not. Should the Lakers trade LeBron James? He made some news over the weekend. We'll discuss that in 15 or so minutes from now. But we do have, as you can tell, a loaded, loaded, loaded show. So we appreciate you, whether you're listening on Facebook, Worldwide Sports Radio Network, whether you're tuning in on Twitter. WWSRN underscore radio at Ryan Hickey Show on Twitter as well or YouTube, Worldwide Sports Ryan Eric. We appreciate your presence. As always, we're coming to you live from the Big Italy Pizzeria Studios, where there's great pizza, hot heroes, and phenomenal dinners. Make sure you check out BigItalyPizza.com to find a location near you. So, the big story yesterday, the biggest story so far of college basketball is what we saw at the end of the Michigan-Wisconsin game in which there was a, a brawl. Well, okay, brawls maybe a little strong. In which there was uh, some pushing and shoving, and Michigan head coach Juwan Howard struck a Michigan or a Wisconsin assistant in the handshake line and had to be restrained and taken away. Look, after watching that, after kind of seeing w- exactly what happened, I think it's clear. Forget the NCAA. Forget the Big Ten. Michigan has just one move here. Michigan has only one way to handle this. It's by firing Jawan Howard. I'm sorry. The current Michigan head coach cannot coach another game for the Wolverines. Because you know why? It's not just what happened yesterday. Yesterday was bad in which you, you witnessed your head coach strike another assistant coach on the opposing team. That's really bad. But this is now... A pattern that's been displayed by one of the leaders of your program, one of the leaders, frankly, of your university. Sports, as we know, especially college sports, 
have grown so much now to where a lot of the exposure, a lot of the free advertising, a lot of the reason why schools are well-known, yes, sure, academics, sure, other activities as well, but it's sports. Alabama's popular because the football team is dominant. Michigan, with their you know, well-renowned, uh, world-renowned sports, whether it's football, whether it's basketball, these coaches now become, you know, faces of the university, not just faces of the basketball program or the football team. They become faces of the university. And you can't, I'm sorry, if you're Michigan, have your head coach acting like that. Again, it's not the first time. So whether it's front-facing, right, whether it's in terms of giving your university as a whole a bad look, but also, too, if we look at it from the basketball perspective, if we look at it for how this incident impacts the Michigan team going forward, I think it hurts Michigan basketball. I think it makes recruiting a lot tougher now going forward to where you might not be getting all the kids you're getting right now. To where the Michigan basketball program might take a step back in part because of this incident and how recruits and families view Juwan Howard moving forward. So I think that's why Michigan has no choice. They got to let their guy go. You can't have Juwan Howard coaching another game for this team. Because yesterday was inexcusable. Yesterday was absolutely inexcusable. There is a lot of, I don't say a lot of takes, but people are out there, on Twitter especially, trying to, I don't want to say defend Juwan Howard, but basically make it seem like he wasn't in the wrong. Trying to put the blame on Greg Gard for whether it's calling a timeout with 15 seconds left when your team is up by 15 because he... Wanted to give his backups a, a chance to in ball, inbound the ball correctly. Whether it's Greg Gard, you know, touching Jawan Howard and kind of touching his arm to try to explain, hey, this is why I took the timeout. Don't be mad at me. But there's no excuse for what Jawan Howard did in terms of striking an opposing team's assistant. Because here's a newsflash. Here's some breaking news for you. Jawan Howard yesterday was not the first head coach in college basketball history and sports history to be upset with an opposing coach. Last time I checked, that happens more times than not. Last time I checked, there are plenty of head coaches that are frustrated with how the opposing coach is handling the game win or loss. With how, you know, the opposing coach is talking to said coach win or loss. Competition is fierce. We know now, especially in college sports, with the money that is paid to coaches with the money that's at stake for winning programs, winning means a ton. So tensions are high. I get that. Right? There's, a, there's a lot on the line with a lot of these games and for a lot of these coaches. But it's not a license to all of a sudden start trying to fight another coach if things don't go your way, if you are upset. Right? Like, again, last time I checked, plenty of coaches have been upset. But guess what? Why do you think we never see what we saw yesterday in terms of a head coach striking another coach? Because they have restrained themselves. You get paid as a head coach in part to be a leader, to be the calming voice when things get, you know, when, when stuff hits the fan. You are supposed to de-escalate situations like this, to have your team, you know, protected, to have your university protected, and instead... You had your head coach, if you're in Michigan, take a situation, pour gasoline on top of the situation, light the match, and throw it on. That's exactly what he did. Because we can talk about exactly what happened, right? Where 
Juwan Howard gets upset that Greg Gard touched him, points in his face, starts cursing him out on the handshake line before being eventually restrained by a few assistants. Fine. No harm, no foul. You're upset, you're tested, you feel like Greg Gard touched you, you're already pissed off, and now that sets you off. Fine. Up until that point, everything is okay. Nothing's really... At, no one's really at fault. Nothing's really happening. And then for Jawan Howard, as things are starting to de-escalate, to come back, take a swing at an assistant coach, it's inexcusable. You cannot do that if you are the head coach of a program. As things are starting to wind down, you cannot go back into the scrum and, again, really take it from 0 to 100. What is the... Reasoning. What is the excuse for keeping him? We all saw what happened. You were talking about Greg Gard touching him. Is that, is that, is Greg Gard, what he did, the Wisconsin head coach, and what Juwan Howard did, are they on the same level? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. And just as bad, just as bad as swinging at an assistant coach, not a punch, by the way, more of an open hand slap slash grab if we want to be technical. But after the game, you have the Michigan head coach not taking any accountability. Someone who just swung at an assistant. Something we never see in sports. Then try to say, oh, self-defense. I felt like I had to protect myself. What are you talking about, man? Juwan Howard was removed from the situation. No one is pushing and shoving. Yeah, there was words flying back and forth. But there's no excuse for throwing, you know, trying to throw a punch for trying to, again, take a situation that is pretty much now calming down and taking it over the edge and going from zero to 100. You can't have that if you're Michigan. I don't say you can justify holding on to a head coach that acts like that. Not to mention, this is the bigger thing for me. It's not just what happened yesterday. Yesterday is now not the first time we have seen Juwan Howard get into incidents like this with other coaches. This is a pattern of behavior. Like, I don't know about you, but for me, I do love giving second chances. One time, fine. If this was just an isolated incident yesterday. And this is the first time Juwan Howard's ever kind of gotten testy and heated and things got a little physical with an assistant coach, fine. I still think a massive suspension should be coming for striking again an assistant, but I wouldn't say fireable. I mean, we all have bad moments. We all snap at times and make regrettable decisions. But here's the thing for Michigan. Here's the thing about Juwan Howard and why, for me, you can't keep him around. This is a pattern of behavior. This is the second time in less than a year where Juwan Howard attempted to fight another coach. And this time was even worse than the first time. Last year in the Big Ten tournament, Michigan was playing in Maryland. There was a timeout on the floor. At what point, words are exchanged, and Juwan Howard is charging over to the Maryland bench. And if he wasn't restrained, and I'm talking legitimately restrained, not a classic NBA fight where, you know, it's kind of like, oh, more hold me back, hold me back, and one guy is like barely in the way, but not really do much to restrain the guy who's upset, but no one wants to fight, so it's just kind of more of a tough guy look. This was legitimately two or three assistant coaches restraining Juwan Howard because if he got to Mark Turgeon, the Maryland head coach, he would probably would have popped him. And if you're Mark Turgeon, that's not a fight you want to be in. You are getting dropped. 
But he, again, in that game, tried to charge on Mark Churchill, had to be restrained, was really going at it for about a minute or so. It was eventually kicked out of the game. And I had to deal with that. So again, this is now the second time in less than a year. If you are Michigan, where your head basketball coach got into, or almost got into, a physical altercation with another coach, how can you justify keeping him around? How can you think, oh, this won't happen again? Again, a one-off is one thing. Heat of the moment, you, you make a really bad decision, you learn for it, and you move on. This is now the second time in less than a year where your head coach, again, got into a physical altercation, and this time was worse than the first time. So how can you, if you're Michigan, if you're Ward Manuel, the AD, sit here with a straight face and say, we're going to figure it out, it's not going to happen again, Juwan has learned from his lesson, and we'll be all good going forward. Some people have the three strikes and you're out policy. But for this case, for me, I go more, fool me once, shame on you. The first incident with Mark Churchin happens, okay, fine. I give my coach the benefit of the doubt in Juwan Howard. No discipline. You know, he wasn't suspended. Okay. Fool me twice, though. Shame on me. If you're in Michigan. You keep Juwan Howard. You absolutely cannot be surprised if this happens again. So I don't think Michigan has a leg to stand on to say we are standing by our head coach. This is the second time an incident has happened. This time, again, ends with him striking an assistant coach well, the first time he tried to and was restrained, this time he couldn't be restrained. What's going to happen next time? WWE taking a chair and smashing it over someone's head? You can't take that risk if you're Michigan. Not to mention, as we know right in this world, the bottom line is key. Whether it's money, whether in sports, it's wins. That is what ultimately decides someone's fate. If you can win games, Schools, companies, corporations will do whatever it takes, jump through any hoops to keep you on the payroll, keep you on, you know, on staff. I get that. But here's the thing, though, for Michigan, why, again, it makes even more sense for, to fire him. I think from an on-court perspective moving forward, from a recruiting perspective moving forward, I think it hurts Michigan to keep their head coach. Because now, guess what? Teams can absolutely negative recruit against Michigan. Michigan's a very good basketball program, so you're going after some of the top kids in the country. If you have Jawan Howard sitting in your living room, how can you truly trust that this guy is going to do what's best for your son? Put him in the best position to succeed. Not get himself in trouble again and not have himself suspended to where if you do want to play for Jawan Howard, well, maybe you won't have the opportunity to because maybe he'll you know, get into another fight and you're suspended again. It's a bad look for him. It's a bad look for you when your son's on the team. And don't think other coaches will not say that. Negative recruiting is almost equally as effective as trying to recruit kids to your own school. So if you're Ohio State, if you're Tom Izzo of Michigan State, you want to come play for me? You want to go over to Michigan. So you can't even trust that their head uh, coach is going to be even on the court to coach. Like it hurts Michigan recruiting. Not to mention, you talk about practicing what you preach. That's part, of the, that's part of how now coaches build trust with players, right? Living the same message they are preaching. Well, if you're a player on Michigan, part of what you're getting coached is what? Poise in the big moment. Not buckling under pressure. Keeping your cool when tensions get high. How can you truly listen 
How can you truly take that seriously from your head coach when you see him anytime he gets upset, he tries to fight Mark Turgeon and he tries to take a swing at Greg Gard's assistant and maybe go after Greg Gard himself? He's not practicing what he preaches. And guess what? When you're a hypocrite, kids tune out quick. Kids stop listening. So because it's not the first time this happened, because for me, I think it's going to impact Michigan negatively on the court in terms of wins, in terms of recruiting, I think Michigan doesn't have a choice. They have to fire Jawan Howard. I think it's absolutely the best way you know, for Michigan going forward. I think it's the only real way that they have to go forward. We have not had a decision. The Big Ten is reviewing the incident. Michigan as well. So we'll see what the decision is. For me, the only decision Michigan should make is firing their head coach. So I'm curious your thoughts here. Juwan Howard strikes a Michigan assistant, uh, a Wisconsin assistant. Should he be fired? Is a suspension in your mind enough of a punishment or should he lose his job? Love to hear your thoughts. Facebook, Worldwide Sports Network. Twitter, WWSRN underscore radio at Ryan Hickey Show. On Twitter as well. We get your thoughts. And when we do return here on the Ryan Hickey Show, LeBron James said something very interesting this weekend. And for me, it means one thing if you're the Lakers. Trade him. I'll explain why when we return. You're listening to the Ryan Hickey Show right here on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. It, it, it's the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Radio Network. Radio Network. Welcome back Welcome to the back Ryan Hickey Ryan Show. Show. Right here on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. And welcome back into the Ryan Hickey Show. Where else but the Worldwide Sports Radio Network? The Los Angeles Lakers season, let's just say kindly, has not gone to plan. Not gone exactly the way they've wanted it to go so far this season. Ninth place in the West, 27 and 31 on the season. It has gone bad. And I think if you're the Lakers, this season and your future only got worse this weekend. Because now, if you're Rob Palenka, the GM, if you are Jeannie Buss, the owner, I think what LeBron James said this offseason gives you no other choice but to trade LeBron this offseason. Whether it's his age, whether it's his health, you look at the roster construction, or really the biggest reason why now his future, I think the Lakers, if they want to remain in championship contention moving forward, not just for next year, but five years and ten years down the road from now, the only way they can do that is by trading LeBron James. There's a few reasons why I think it makes a lot of sense, actually, for L.A. to make this move. But let's start with what most recently was said and what happened. For me, if you're the Lakers, the biggest reason why it makes sense to trade LeBron James is because he is not finishing his career in L.A. He is not going to retire as a Los Angeles Laker. And he basically said that, confirmed that, on Saturday at the All-Star Game when he was doing his media availability. LeBron was asked a question about his son, Bronny James, a junior in high school. And LeBron basically said he wants to finish his career playing with his son. He said, my final season will be played playing with my son. Quote, I would do whatever it takes to play with my son. End quote. Basically hinting at whoever drafts Bronny James, whoever signs, if he goes undrafted, signs Bronny James in, you know, in free agency, 
Whoever gets LeBron's son, LeBron is going to that team. Money's no object, whether it's the minimum contract or whatever, LeBron will do whatever it takes to play for his son. Now, this is not really that surprising because we have seen moves. We have seen LeBron's actions kind of reflect this. But now hearing it from his mouth, kind of seeing that, you know what? If you're any of these other 29 teams, you want me to play in your team, all you got to do is take my son. I think that all but confirms LeBron is leaving the Lakers. And if he's going to leave, if I'm the Lakers, I'd rather get some back for it than have him walk out. Because LeBron James is a free agent after the 2022-2023 season, which is next year. So he has basically a season and a half left in LA. And the reason why him being a free agent is important, the 2023 offseason, is because guess what? That's when Bronny uh, graduates high school. It's not a coincidence that LeBron only has one year left in his deal. Now, current NBA rules prevent Bronny James from going right from high school to the draft. We'll see if those rules are changed by the time the 2023 draft comes around. If not, okay, LeBron's going to have to figure something out midway through for one, you know, for one year until Bronny is draft eligible in 2024. But either way, whether it's 2023 or 2024, LeBron James is going wherever his son goes. So if you're the Lakers, you got to feel pretty, pretty aware, we'll say, that he is not returning. The odds of LeBron sticking in a light are extremely, extremely slim. So do you want to lose him for nothing? Do you want to lose the best player of his generation, one of the best players of all time, well, who's still playing good basketball, by the way. You want to have him walk out the door? You want to have him leave for nothing? And forget just walking out the door. Forget the 2023 offseason. Let's look at next year. Do you really want LeBron James going into the final year of a deal and having everyone be concerned about where he's going? Ask Kevin Durant and the Warriors. Was KD's final year in the Bay as he was getting ready to you know, opt out of his contract and become a free agent? think that was a distraction at all? Do you think that war on the Warriors trying to always stress about KD's future? Because uh, if you remember Steve Kerr, when he was asked after the fact when, you know, Kevin Durant eventually did leave, go to Brooklyn, he was asked the most stressful season of his career. You know what Steve Kerr said? The most stressful season of his career was coaching Kevin Durant's final season in Golden State. Think about that. You had Kevin Durant, an all-time great. Steph Curry, an all-time great. Klay Thompson, a great, 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 and one of the best shooters we've ever seen. Jeremy Green's kind of a do-it-all jackknife. They had the, uh, the Warriors, that is, excuse me, still had the best team by far in the NBA. They were running the West, and if it wasn't for injuries, they would have won a third consecutive title. So they had a lot of success on the court. But because of all the questions off of it, because every single game, every single interaction that we viewed on the sideline in the post-game meeting room at practice was viewed of the lens of, oh, is that Kevin Durant going to leave? So when we saw, you know, Draymond Green and Kevin Durant getting into it on the sideline, that was viewed as, hmm, is Kevin Durant going to want to leave? Kevin Durant only takes three shots. Is he getting tired of playing with Steph Curry? Every single thing, every single time one of those guys breathed, the question was, is Kevin Durant going to leave? Is he going to leave or is he going to stay? 
That was all that I was going to talk about the final year of Kevin Durant and Golden State, despite the fact they had the best team in the NBA. So if you're the Lakers now, you see that happen. Do you want to be a repeat of the Warriors where next year LeBron James going to the final year of his deal is going to be constantly asked, LeBron, what's your future? You stay in L.A. You're going somewhere else. This and that. It's a massive distraction. So if I'm the Lakers, do you want that drama surrounding your team or do you want someone else dealing with the drama? If I'm the Lakers, I'd have someone else deal with the drama. Have someone else's head coach. Someone else's players, someone else's GM, and someone else's owner constantly asked about the future of LeBron James. Constantly asked whether he's staying or going. Constantly asked if Bronny, you know, is a draft eligible in 2023. Have that gap year, that purgatory year, is he going to stay or go? I would rather find the Lakers, get out ahead of it, trade LeBron this offseason, and have someone else deal with the drama that comes along with it. You get more value, you get value back than you would if you're the Lakers if LeBron stays and leaves to go in free agency somewhere else. So that's why for me, one of the biggest reasons why I would trade LeBron is because you actually get something back, you don't lose an all-time great for nothing, and you also avoid the drama that will come with LeBron's uncertain contract status. That, to me, is the biggest reason why. LeBron just confirmed it this, uh, this weekend, this past weekend. He is playing with his son. He is doing whatever it takes to play with his son. He will go wherever Bronny is. So if you're, you know, the Lakers, 30 teams, you got to feel pretty bad that he is not going to L.A. There are plenty of other teams that would take a flyer on Bronny James just to bring LeBron to town and get him before he's able to go to the Lakers. So because of that, I think you'd rather get out ahead of it and get some value back for an all-time great. Not to mention, Another reason why I think the Lakers would be prudent to move on this offseason is because health of LeBron is starting to become a question. We still have 25 games left in the season. LeBron's already missed 17 games this season. And, oh yeah, by the way, for the second consecutive season, dealing with an ankle injury that's basically going to linger the rest of the year. LeBron was asked about his ankle injury earlier last week. They said the only way it's going to get better is by rest. We saw him playing in the game yesterday. That ankle is not resting until the offseason comes. So it's going to be an issue the rest of the year. So he's missed 17 games this season already. He has an ankle injury that's going to linger the rest of the season. If you go back to last year, missed 27 games out of 72 in a shortened season. His first year in L.A. also missed 27 games. So you have three out of the four years where LeBron James has missed a significant amount of time for the Lakers. It's significant because guess what? That is a, a rarity. We never see that. In his first 15 seasons in the league before getting to LA. Do you know how many times LeBron has missed more than 10 games in a year? Just twice. So just two times in the first 15 seasons of LeBron's career, he missed 10 or more games in a season. And now in LA, it's been three out of four years where he's missed at least 17 Games in a season. And for LeBron, when you see now his injury is starting to pile up, it makes sense. Look at all the miles on his tires. This guy has been in the NBA forever. He is playing in his 19th season in the NBA. At 37 years old, he has played more NBA seasons in his life than not. Think about that. 
That's crazy. That shows you how much he has played. But also, when you factor in all the postseason games he has participated in, when you look at that, add them up, LeBron, in reality, is on his 23rd season in the NBA when you go by games played. So this guy has a ton, ton of mileage on those tires. And now we are starting to see these signs of decay where he is starting to now deal with injuries and be out for longer than he was when he was younger. So if you're the Lakers, do you want LeBron James breaking down on your watch or do you want to have that be, I don't know, someone else's problem? Right? If I'm the Lakers, I'd rather have LeBron James break down on someone else's roster. Have them deal with LeBron missing a significant amount of time. Have them deal with multiple injuries now popping up and being an issue. So if you're the Lakers, I'd rather have LeBron James's offseason drama and contract drama be dealt by uh, be dealt with by someone else. I'd rather have his injury history and have his body starting to, you know, break down in front of us. I'd rather have someone else deal with that problem, and I'd rather have someone else deal with LeBron's age. Like if you look at the Western Conference. Let's call it for what it is. It is a young man's conference right now. It is being run by the youngest teams in the NBA. Look at the Suns. The Phoenix Suns, some of their best players are 25 and younger. Devin Booker, Mikael Bridges, DeAndre Ayton, 25 and younger. John Morant is developing into a star before rise. He's 22 years old. Luka Doncic is a star in this league. He's 23. Donovan Mitchell for the Jazz, 25. Nicole Jokic. Sure, the guy has a body of a 45-year-old, but he's only 26. Jamal Murray, 24 years old. Even Kawhi Leonard, the, you know, one of the older vets in the conference, is just 31. So when you look at LeBron James, who's 37, having him construct one of the oldest rosters in NBA history, mind you, forget just this season you know, and just in the Western Conference, he has constructed one of the oldest teams in NBA history. That's not winning. It's a young man's conference. And if you're the Lakers, you got to get younger, not just for the future, right? Not just to give yourself an open window for the future, but also give yourself a chance to win now. The Lakers are not winning with these old guys. The retirement home is getting worked. And they're, they're not even going to get out of the playing tournament. They are... Eight and a half games behind the Nuggets to just get out of the playing tournament. And now your best player, or one of your best players, Anthony Davis, one of the youngsters on the on the crew, is out for at least a month. And that is a hard at least. So if you're the Lakers, you want to get younger. That starts with trading away LeBron James and getting value back. Because speaking of which, when you trade LeBron, by the way, you're getting significant value. You are trading him at his highest value, he's going to be the rest of his career. Look how he's playing this year. He's fourth in the NBA in scoring. His 29.1 points per game right, are not only good enough for fourth in the NBA, it's the highest for LeBron in over a decade. His final year in, uh, in Cleveland, 2009-2010 season, was the last time LeBron James averaged over 29.1 points per game. His 52% field goal percentage this season is the highest in the four years he's been a Laker. LeBron is playing some of his best basketball and turning the clock back with his performance. So guess what? You are still selling LeBron James 
at you know in the offseason trading him away to be one of you know a key piece for another team. You're not just trading away the name. You're not just trading away basically putting butts in seats to watch LeBron. You are still trading away a guy that could play at a very high level. So you, if you're the Lakers, you will get significant value back. You're not trading a ghost. You are getting a substantial return for a Lakers team that, you know what, can now retool instead of rebuild. Reload instead of tearing it down. So whether it's Damian Lillard maybe coming to town, because if you trade Russ, if you trade AD, if you trade LeBron, I trade all three of them from the Lakers this offseason, or at least try to. Maybe with no star in town, Damian Lillard would be okay with going to LA and starting basically fresh from scratch and trying to build the Lakers into a title contender. Maybe Kevin Durant says, screw it. You know, I tried James Harden, didn't work out. Kyrie Irving is an enigma. Ben Simmons now is another massive question mark. Maybe I'll go to LA and start over. You can get some serious value back if you're Rob Plank, if you're Jeannie Buss, by trading LeBron this offseason. I think they got to do it for both the long-term and short-term success of the Lakers. I think it's imperative they trade Anthony Davis, imperative you trade Russell Westbrook, but extremely imperative for trading LeBron James. you got to get some value back before he leaves in free agency. There's guarantee, basically no doubt about it. He's not staying as a Laker, not retiring as a Laker. So he's going to go somewhere else. You'd rather get value back than have him leave for free. His health is starting to break down. He's getting injured more and staying out for longer periods of time. So I'd rather have that be someone else's problem. And even, too, LeBron's contract right now is ambiguous. Well, not ambiguous. He just has one year left. So that's a lot of drama going to next season. A lot of questions about his future. I'd rather have someone else deal with that. Have another team answer those questions, not mine. So if you're the Lakers, I think it makes a lot of sense to trade LeBron, get a massive haul back, and start your rebuild in 2022, or start your retooling in 2022. So LeBron on Saturday discussed he is doing whatever it takes to play with his son. That to me signals he's living LA, and if he's living LA, the Lakers got to trade him before he leaves. You got to get something back for the King. So I think that absolutely the Lakers should trade him. How about you? Eight, uh, it's going to give the number for CBS Sports Radio. We're on the Worldwide Sports Network, which means you can participate on Facebook, Worldwide Sports Network. You can tweet us at WWSRRun underscore radio or tweet me at Ryan Hickey Show. Should the Lakers, should they trade LeBron James this offseason? Does it make a lot of sense for the Lakers to move off of one of the best basketball players uh, we've ever seen and still one of the best players in the league this season. For me, I say yes. How about you? We'll get your thoughts again. Worldwide Sports Network on Facebook, at Ryan Hickey Show on Twitter. And when we return, Dak Prescott was asked, should he have say in team building? He basically said, if they ask me, I will say yes. But I'll ask you this. Should quarterbacks like Dak Prescott be having and giving input on team decision-making this offseason. We'll discuss that when we do return here. Listen to Ryan Icke on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. It, it is the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Radio Network. Welcome back to the Ryan Hickey Show. Right here on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. 
And welcome back in. Ryan Hickey here with you. We're rolling on until 11 a.m. Eastern. 15 minutes from now. It was a horrible Friday in college football. I'll explain why that is. Again, 15 minutes or so from now. But I do want to hit on, I think, a, a question that the last two or three years has been a hot-button topic when it comes to the NFL, and that is quarterbacks giving say or allowed to give say in team building and, and roster construction. And now we are starting to see that question percolate in Dallas. And this kind of reminds me of some things we talked about last year. So I want to kind of bring it full, you know, move it forward here for this specific uh, situation. I think in general, one of the worst things an NFL team can do is pay a good quarterback great quarterback money, right? It's getting harder and harder. I get it because now quarterback salaries continue to escalate. So if you want to lock down your guy, for example, like the Cowboys did last year, Dak Prescott, even if Dak Prescott isn't an elite quarterback, even if he isn't a top five kind of guy, the going rate still is that the next quarterback up gets the highest paid contract, right? Where you're starting to see that really through a lot of different positions, but quarterback especially because there's so much money in that position. So Patrick Holmes gets his deal. Josh Allen gets his deal. So, okay, it's time for Dak Prescott to jump them in terms of an annual average salary. But this is where it comes back to bite teams. Because for me, it's not only crippling on the field when you don't have an elite quarterback, but you're paying him like he's an elite quarterback, but it also really does hurt your team when it comes to the offseason. When it comes to the salary cap and managing the, the team and the roster and trying to build a Super Bowl winning team. And the Cowboys are now starting to face that reality. And we saw last year how the 2021 season ended for the Cowboys. The second half of the season, Dak Prescott really struggled. Mike McCarthy said he wasn't slumping. Well, it turns out that he was. And maybe it's not even a slump. Maybe that's truly who Dak is, which is even scarier if you're Jerry Jones or the Cowboys. But Dak really struggled in the second half of the season. We saw that even in the wild card loss of the 49ers at home. And for a team that won 12 games, they were one and done in the postseason. So now it wasn't just bad enough that he struggled on the field. Now he is posing a challenge off of it. Because for Dak Prescott, and for quarterbacks in general, I do think they deserve a say in decision making. I do think they should be allowed to be discussed, consulted, and give their opinion on off-season moves, on the draft, on trying to figure out which receivers they like, whether to draft this position or that position. I think it's smart business, if you're the GM and the head coach, to have your quarterback involved in decision-making. But the issue is, when you pay your quarterback like you trust them, when you pay your quarterback $40, $45 million a season, on paper, that should show the team trusts you. That should mean the GM and the head coach should be able to go to said quarterback and ask for their opinion on certain things. But the dangerous part for me is when the quarterback's salary can't back up their play. Because now, if you're Jerry Jones, can you truly trust when you ask Dak Prescott, hey, you know, forget about just asking, you want this receiver or that receiver. Do you want a receiver or think we should go with a linebacker or a defensive end? Or maybe some offensive line help. Because you got to think, most times the quarterbacks are going to say, oh, give me the receiver. Give me that other weapon I have to throw to. When in reality, that could do more harm than good. Trying to prop up 
a below elite quarterback can come back to bite teams when it comes to the team building part of the roster. So the reason why we're using Dak Prescott here as the main example for this discussion is because he was asked about his role in the off-season decision-making for the Cowboys. Jury Epstein of USA Today did an interview with Dak Prescott that was published last week. She asked basically Dak, now that for the first time in, in four years, right, your contract is not the focus of the off-season, does that mean now you have time for other, um, other parts of the roster, other decision-making of the roster? And he said, quote, I'm pretty sure that my opinion will be valued in certain decisions as I hope. So with that being said, just planning on helping this team get better in every which way I can, end quote. He's not demanding that his voice be heard like Russell Wilson or Aaron Rodgers. He's basically saying, if they come to me, I would love to give my opinion, and I expect they will come to me in certain situations. And I think for Jerry Jones, Dak is right. I think in some such, uh, situations, Jerry Jones, Stephen Jones, should absolutely go to Dak Prescott and ask him what he prefers. Now, if you are deciding between two wide receivers in free agency, X and Y, should we re-sign Michael Gallup or should we bring in, let's say, Chris Godwin, for example? Well, if you're Jerry Jones, you want to bring in a wide receiver that Dak Prescott feels comfortable with. So if he has a preference of, oh, yeah, let's say I want Michael Gallup back and I don't think Chris Godwin would fit this offense for X, Y, and Z, if I'm Jerry, I listen to Dak. I'd say, okay, you know what? If you're comfortable with this receiver, I mean, again, he fits better with what we're trying to do in offense. I trust you. We will go down this route, and, and I hear you out, and we'll go here. That, to me, is what almost any team should be doing because, again, you've got to make your quarterback as comfortable as possible and all be on the same page when it comes to you know constructing this team correctly. So you shouldn't be signing players or drafting players whose styles don't fit the offense or whose styles really don't fit the quarterback. But where it gets dangerous, where I don't think he should be consulted um, on is when it comes to deciding between position groups. Like I said before, wide receiver or defensive end, we have $10 million to spend this offseason. Should we do so on a defensive end or should we do so on a wide receiver? We got a second round pick. We really like this tight end that, you know, from one school. You also really like his offensive lineman for another. When it comes to guys like Dak Prescott, when it comes to guys like Kirk Cousins who make elite level salary without playing like an elite quarterback, you can't trust, you can't ask those quarterbacks when it comes to deciding between position groups because, again, you got to think they're going to choose the ones that benefit them the most. So the wide receiver, the tight end, the weapon, right, that you have to throw to over whether it's adding to the defense or adding to the offensive line or different part of the team. Because you can't trust that they will cover other deficiencies that will happen because other holes can't be addressed. Like if you have, if you're the Packers and you have Aaron Rodgers, if you're the Seahawks and you have Russell Wilson or you're the Chiefs with Patrick Mahomes. You know this is one of the best quarterbacks in the league. So if you go ask them, hey, we have this receiver we like, we have this defensive end we like, you know, what are you thinking here? And if you are, if you have Aaron Rodgers or Patrick Holmes, make their cases to why, give me the other receiver. Let's load up on the offense. Because you know why? I promise you that if we go offense, and now that means the defense is going to be a little undermanned, right? have a few more holes, I promise you I will make up for it by scoring more points every single week. I promise you. That with this new receiver we get, 
we're going to, you know, use him, get the best out of his abilities, and the offense and the point production and the yard production that we have is going to outweigh, let's say, the defense taking a step back because we can't address a position of need, whether it's defensive end, whether it's defensive tackle, linebacker, defensive back, whatever. That's a real reality. you got to choose between addressing one position or another. The salary cap, again, makes teams make tough decisions. So if you are the Packers, someone, you know, the GM of the Packers, the Chiefs, or the Seahawks, you could trust, you know what, fine. I have one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL. I trust Rodgers, Wilson, Mahomes, that if we get them this weapon, they'll make the most of it, and they will have the offense perform at an even higher level and make up for some deficiencies on the defense. If you're the Cowboys, if you're a team like the Vikings, can you really trust that Dak Prescott or Kirk Cousins would consistently put out a big offensive performance to where they'll make up for the defensive deficiencies? I can't. We haven't really seen it. I know Dak and the offense at one point, or for most of the season, number one scoring offense, number one total yards. Well, again, Dak struggled the second half of the season. That was just, as we saw in the wild card game, couldn't get the job done. So I'm not trusting a quarterback that can't get the job done to make important decisions and take away resources from one side of the ball to put them on the other. I am absolutely trusting, and I'm absolutely talking to, if I'm a GM, Rodgers, Wilson, Mahomes, Tom Brady, and getting their take on what the offseason plan is. But I can't do so with guys like Dak Prescott and Kirk Cousins. I can't do it. You can't trust that those players will elevate the team to another level and truly cover up other deficiencies. Like when Russell Wilson got hurt earlier this year and hurt his finger, part of the reason why the, the Seahawks were so bad and went in the tank is because guess what? Russell Wilson, it was hard for us to even realize how many deficiencies he covers up with his play until you see him not there. Until you see Geno Smith being the one taking snaps. Until you realize truly how bad the O-line is and how, you know, how impactful not having a running game is that's respectable. Because when another quarterback comes in, you realize, oh my God, this team is so much worse than I thought. Star elite quarterbacks make up for so much that you can trust them when you are doing some team building you know, discussions and when you are trying to construct the roster for next season. I would absolutely consult some of the most elite quarterbacks in the NFL and trust them if they say, look, we need this wide receiver. I know linebacker is going to take it, but trust me, I'll make sure the offense scores more on a consistent basis. And even though the defense is going to be weaker, we won't use it as an excuse. We will make sure we're still winning games. I can't sit here and trust Dak Prescott to do that or Kirk Cousins to do that. And that is where the Cowboys find themselves between a rock and a hard place. Dak is saying he's not demanding to have say, but he expects to have a seat at the table. And you know what? Again, he should have a seat at the table. But when it comes to hearing his advice, when it comes to hearing his pitch, if you're Jerry Jones, you've got to take it with a grain of salt. You've got to realize Dak Prescott struggled at the end of the season, did not play well at the playoff game at all. He is someone that, you know what? We can't fully trust to give more um, power to. Even though he's getting paid like an elite quarterback, he is not an elite quarterback. And that, to me, is where it's very tricky for Dallas, very tricky for teams like Minnesota, and very tricky now going forward for other teams that pay a good quarterback, elite quarterback money. The Raiders and Derek Carr are going to have a decision to make. He has one year left in his deal. You pay Derek Carr $40-plus million a year. Can you trust Derek Carr to lead the team every single week? 
I don't think so. I don't think so. But when you're getting paid $40 million, you're going to expect to have a new role, a new title, and have more influence when that's really the last thing that should be happening. So the Cowboys, I'm fascinated to see how this offseason goes to them, how they treat Dak Prescott and, and how much say, how much power they give him in decision-making. When you return here on the Ryan Hickey Show, Friday was a really bad day for college football. The college football playoff is not expanding. And I'll tell you why that is just an awful, awful day for the entire sport. When we return, listen to Ryan Hickey on the CBS, on, uh, on the worldwide sports. I knew it was going to happen. I hosted on CBS Sports Radio Saturday morning, and now I still can't get, at, get that out of my head. So Ryan Hickey here with you on the worldwide sports radio network talking college football playoff lack of expansion when we return here on the show. It's the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Welcome back to the Ryan Hickey Show. Right here on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Ryan Hickey here with you on this Monday morning, the 10 o'clock hour of the show is always sponsored by LC Designs. Charcuterie boards are perfect for all occasions, so make sure your guests are happily fed with some delicious and aesthetically pleasing charcuterie boards made by Lauren Clark. So make sure you check out lcdesignsnyc.com, lcdesignsnyc.com for more information. I am an optimist. I am someone who always looks at the glass half full. I'm someone who always tries to find the bright spot and the bright side of anything. That's just for me, always how I kind of am. Always looking for hope, always like to look forward to things, and I always try to look at things from a positive light. I hate being negative, personally. But unfortunately, this is the one of the rare situations, one of the rare occurrences, especially in sports, where for me there's no bright side. There's no glass half full here to look at. This is just pure negativity and really nothing positive. And that is the news we got on Friday that the college football playoff is not expanding. They announced that they, you know, they were not able to come to a resolution. They're not able to come to an agreement. So now, through the 2025 season, we will remain at a four-team playoff. No expansion. And instead, four more seasons of just four teams making the playoff. And this, to me, is an awful day for college football, an awful day for everyone involved, because I thought college, the college football playoff expansion would have solved a massive issue in the sport, and that is a lack of parity. Let's call for what it is. We know in college football, it is already decided before the season even starts that most teams are not going to have a chance, which means... Most of the same teams we know are the ones fighting for the four spots. And honestly, the lack of different teams kind of having the same old, same old every single year, I do think not only does it alienate fans, it also starts to make the sport stale. It does. I love college football. This is coming from someone who is a passionate fan. But when it's the same old teams every single year, where there's only 10 teams 
in August, before the season even starts, we truly look at it and say, they have a shot to make the title, or they have a shot to make the playoff or not. That's not good for the sport. It is not good that when you have a four-team playoff, you can easily cross off 90% of teams in college football. You can easily eliminate them from the college football playoff before any game is even played. So when it's the same teams every single year, it gets boring. When it's Alabama, Georgia, Ohio State, Clemson, Notre Dame, Oklahoma, when those are the teams always in the mix every single year, when those for the most part, you know, out of that, what is that, six teams I just listed, out of that, most of the time, four of the six I just mentioned are the ones in it or in the conversation, it gets boring. It doesn't give hope and it doesn't give, you know, fans a reason to watch the sport a lot. And I don't think that's good. Like, if you think I'm being overdramatic, if you think I'm trying to really hype up the fact that it's the same old, same old every year and there's no real parity in the sport, let me let me show you this stat. So we just concluded, with Georgia winning the national title, right, about a month or so ago, we just concluded the eighth season of the college football playoff format, the four-team format. Do you know how many, in eight years, how many different teams have made the playoff? 13. 13 different teams have made the college football playoff in eight seasons. There is no parity in this sport. But for me, the answer is by expanding the playoff getting more teams in the conversation, and on the periphery, getting more teams in the mix. When you don't have the same five teams every single year penciled in for the playoff, it helps to spread out recruiting. That is what college football playoff expansion does. That's how it brings parity. It's most of the time not changing who wins, most of the time not changing who's in the college football playoff, it's, for the most part, early on, if it, there's expansion, not making any of these games closer. That's okay. But I do think, over time, the more teams you get involved means the more options kids have in recruiting. And when you spread out the talents, when you have talented five-star kids, not just only going to Alabama, Ohio State, Georgia, Clemson, Oklahoma, when you now are giving them options to, hey, you can go to Tennessee instead of Alabama and still make the cultural playoff. You can go to Wisconsin instead of Ohio State and still make the cultural playoff. I think more kids would make that decision. And spreading the talent out, not allowing basically super teams to form in Tuscaloosa and Columbus and Athens brings more parity to the sport brings more teams, you know, brings more teams and fan bases, makes them involved and brings them in. And it helps to level the playing field where unpredictability returns to college football, which I don't know about you, is the reason why so many of us were attracted to the sport in the first place. That is what expansion does. When you allow eight teams, 12 teams into the mix, you now expand the pool for teams that just have a chance. That is what expansion and why to me expansion is so important. Because if you are able to bring more teams in the mix and allow them to make the playoff, it makes now recruiting 
for these, we'll say, second-tier schools, not the elite schools right at the top, but you now have some really good programs right below, it makes their recruiting pitch better. It gives now all these 65 teams plus Notre Dame and we'll say BYU, 67, you know, um, Power 5 schools, it gives them now more of an equal playing field when it comes to recruiting. And now if we are not having kids go to the same five schools, that is how all of a sudden we get national titles and we get playoffs that are more competitive. Because what are people complaining about? Right, The biggest um, argument against excuse me, college football playoff expansion is that the games aren't competitive now, so why would we want to watch more blowouts? I get that. I'm not arguing that there's even more than, at certain times, three teams that are worthy of winning a national title. Like, for most of the year, Georgia was the only team that looked like that could win a national title. Alabama changed out a tiny bit when they beat them in the SEC title game. But for the most part, it was Georgia, 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 some Alabama, mostly Georgia. But how you change that isn't by shrinking the playoff. Isn't by keeping it status quo. It's by expanding. It is by bringing more teams in. The first three, four, five years of an expanded playoff, it will be ugly. I'm not going to deny it. You know, Georgia taking on the 16th seed or the 12th seed or the 8th seed, it's going to be ugly. Same with Alabama, same with Ohio State. But you now giving other teams a chance to still compete for a national title, I do, will, I do think will change the way kids approach recruiting. Because guess what? You have college football playoff expansion. You tie that in with NIL. You now are able to make a legitimate pitch if you are any school not named Bama, Georgia, LSU, Oklahoma, Clemson, Ohio State. You now make and become a more attractive destination because instead of sitting on the bench for your five-star recruit for two or three years at Ohio State or Alabama or Georgia, you can go to a Wisconsin. You can go to an Auburn or a Tennessee, start right away, get paid a ton of money because people are going to know your name, whether you're a receiver, whether you're a defensive back, even an offensive lineman. You can make money right away because kids are going to know who you are your name is going to be out there. And oh yeah, by the way, you have a chance to still compete for a national title by getting a, a 10th or 11th spot in the playoff if you go 10-2. and two. We're not expanding the playoff to basically allow 8-4, and 9-3 and three teams in. Even just having 12 teams, you still, for the most part, are having great teams that are 10-2, and two, that are 11-1, and one, that either ben, you know, couldn't benefit from an easier schedule or had just a bad break go their way, you still give them a chance to win a national title. And by doing so, I think that helps to spread the talent out. And spreading the talent out, making equal uh, playing field for recruiting, brings more parity to the sport. That is what we need. If you're an Alabama fan, I get it, sure. You're having a great run right now. Why would you want to change anything? I understand that. But there's also 130 schools, but even if you take those out, just 67 Power 5 schools. You want to do, if you're a college football playoff committee, do you want to do what's best for two or three schools and keep it at four teams? Or do you want to do what's best for 67 schools and bring parity? Not to mention, let's not be stupid here. We know what the main motivating factor is, right? In the end, 
Networks sure want competitive games because that means more money because more eyeballs are watching. But the reality is decision makers follow the money. Which again makes no sense why there was an expansion because the money is large here. Like college football playoff expansion benefits everyone involved. Not just teams like, you know, not just the Pac-12 or, or the Big Ten or other teams in a lesser tier. College football playoff expansion even helps those at the top like the SEC. Because guess what? More uh, teams in the playoff means more teams from your conference getting in. Instead of now, most years, guaranteed to get one team in, and some years getting two teams in like we just saw this past year, you now could be guaranteed two or three teams in every single season in an 8- or 12-team playoff. So if you're the SEC, you're getting more teams in the playoff every single year. Why would you say no to that? Last time I checked, two or three is greater than one or two. You'd be dumb not to sign up for that. And if you're the Pac-12... In an 8- or 12-team playoff, you're basically guaranteed to have your team in it every single year, which is not the case now. Same with the ACC. Same thing with the Big Ten. And especially the Big 12, when they're losing Oklahoma. The only team that's ever made the playoff from the Big 12. You want your chance at the pie. You want your piece of the pie. And by doing so, or how you do that is by having teams make it. No one from the Big 12 is making the playoff now when Oklahoma leaves. But it's still four teams. Look, I love Oklahoma State. Are they going to make it? Absolutely not. TCU? No. Big 12 needs expansion. Pac-12 needs expansion. ACC needs expansion. There's a lot of money on the table for expanding. And instead, for whatever reason... That money was turned down. Like ESPN put it out there. You know what the conference as a whole, the conferences as a whole, excuse me, what they forfeited by not expanding? $450 million was left on the table by remaining at four teams and not going to eight or 12. $450 million. Half a billion dollars. You're telling me those conferences don't want that money? So it makes no sense why they didn't approve expansion. It makes no sense why we're still sitting here at four teams for another four years. Because it really doesn't help anyone. It's bad for the sport. It's bad for most conferences. It's bad for business. It's bad for ratings. It's even bad for the Bulls. Rose Bowl, Peach Bowl, Orange Bowl. They get a playoff game once every three years. You're the chance if they expand the playoff to have a playoff game every single year. That helps your bottom line. And final, last thing I'll add. Not only does it help spread out recruiting, does it bring a level playing field, does it bring more money in, it also helps solve a problem that a lot of people don't like. A lot of kids now opt out of bowl games. If you're not in the playoff, even if you're in a New Year's Six, doesn't matter, you're still opting out of the bowl game. Look at how many... Great players from Ohio State opted out of the Rose Bowl. The Rose Bowl. People are very upset, and there's always a big argument online about whether kids should opt out or not, why some are ungrateful, why some are making smart business decisions. Well, you know what's going to happen? If you're in the playoff, even if you're a 12 seed, playing number one Alabama, number one Georgia, number one Ohio State, the odds are you're not opting out of a playoff game. 
you're not opting out of a, a, of a game in which you have a chance to advance and eventually win a national title. So more kids, more star players in college football are going to play in playoff games instead of sitting out other bowl games like they're doing right now. So that even solves that issue as well. So again, I list all of these reasons. It makes zero sense why the college football playoff didn't expand. And I don't get it. And that's why for me, it was a horrible day on Friday. Having the news become official, while not surprising because we kind of saw this writing on the wall, the fact that it's official now for the next four seasons, we are sticking with a four-team playoff, I think is to the detriment of everyone in college football. Conferences, teams, commissioners, but most importantly, us, the fans. With college football getting stale, for at least the next few years, there's nothing we can do to change it. NIL will help a little. I think it will start to spread out some of the talent because now you can get more money um, going to some of these lesser schools because it's not a bottomless pit. People think, oh, Alabama and Georgia are going to rule NIL every year, and they do. But it allows other schools now to get better recruiting classes and poach some kids they normally wouldn't because there's not a bottomless pit of money at Alabama, at Georgia, at Ohio State. The market is going to come back to where not every kid is getting a million dollars to go to a school. Texas A&M doesn't have enough money to offer every recruit, every kid in the transfer portal, and pay everyone on the team a million dollars to stay on. Okay? So it's going to work its way back. But for right now, NAL is helping a little bit to spread out the talent. But for the most part, I think expansion, giving other schools opportunities to make the playoff would have been the best thing for the sport and is not happening. And I think that's an awful, awful news, awful day for college football. So I'm curious your thoughts. Do you like the 14 playoff? Are you a fan? Are you happy, basically, that the college football playoff is not expanding and sticking at four teams? Are you with me? Are you the belief that expansion, while yes, in the short term, wouldn't create uh, much more parity, wouldn't make any of these games more competitive, but it would, though, help bring parity to the sport and spread out the talent? Are you in my camp that it was an awful day for college football? So we'll get your thoughts. Facebook, Worldwide Sports Red Network, Twitter, WWSRN underscore radio, or on Twitter, at Ryan Hickey Show. When we return, there was an interesting article I read over the weekend that is starting to call into question Aaron Rodgers' ability. Should the Packers or any team interested in Rodgers maybe take pause in wanting him on their team in 2022? I'll explain what that uh, area is and give you my answer when we return to to Ryan Hickey on CBS Sports. Uh, I did it again. I'm sorry. Listen to Ryan Hickey on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. It, it, it's the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Radio Network. Radio Network. Welcome back Welcome to the Ryan Hickey Ryan Show. Show. Right here on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Welcome back in. Happy President's Day Monday. Ryan Hickey with you on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. So one of the biggest things we've been talking about all offseason so far is the future of Aaron Rodgers. Will he remain in Green Bay? Will he get traded? A decision by him on his future, whether he wants to stay or go, should be made within the next few weeks. But there was an interesting report that came out from ESPN that I do 
want to ask you if you if it gives you pause, whether you're a Packers fan, whether you're another NFL fan that wants Aaron Rodgers on your team, do you get pause by trading for Rodgers after hearing this? So ESPN Rob's Domowski, the Packers reporter for ESPN, he was discussing Rodgers' future decision making, and he put this little nugget in here in his one of reports. He said, quote, some within the Packers organization wonder if he, Rodgers, can still do it in January and February. End quote. So he's reporting, again, the Packers ESPN reporter, Rob Domofsky, is saying that according to some sources that he knows within the Packers organization, some, whether it's, you know, as we decide about Aaron Rodgers' future, are wondering, is it worth keeping Rodgers because we don't know if he can be the playoff quarterback we need him to be. Two things I think can be true from this little nugget dropped by Rob Domowski. Number one, there is absolutely reason to doubt if Aaron Rodgers can ever win another Super Bowl. With that said, though, the other thing that I think is also true here is this. His postseason failures, especially recent postseason failures this year and last year, they are not a reason why the Packers should move on from Aaron Rodgers or why another team, Broncos, you know, shouldn't pull the trigger on making a trade. Let's start with the first part here when it comes to Rodgers' ability to win another Super Bowl. I would say for Rob Domofsky, his sources within the Packers, they have a right to question if Rodgers will ever get it done in the playoffs because the last two years especially have left really bad tastes in their mouths. Not to mention, I think the number one culprit you can blame for the uh, Buccaneers' loss in 2020 and the 49ers' loss in 2021 is Aaron Rodgers. You look at what was going on for the Packers each of the last two seasons, it lined up perfectly for them to make a run to the Super Bowl. They literally, literally, no hyperbole here, got everything they could have wanted. They got home field, which Aaron Rodgers stressed both this season and last season, stressed the importance of playing games in Lambeau Field. When you look at the rest of the NFC, Buccaneers from Tampa Bay, Cardinals from Arizona, Rams from Los Angeles, 49ers from um, San Francisco, every team, the Saints last year when they were still in it, New Orleans, every team from the NFC that was really competitive was either a dome team or a warm weather team. So Aaron Rodgers, each of the last two years, talked about the importance of getting that one seed, getting home field, and playing games in freezing cold Lambeau Field. He talked about on numerous occasions, the colder, the better, the more that benefits the Packers. He got that. Number one seed in 2020, number one seed in 2022, uh, 2021. With that number one seed, by the way, it got them the bye. Well, the new playoff format... There's only one by awarded in each conference. The Packers got that. So they're playing one less game, one less opportunity for them to lay an egg and get bounced. So they got the only by. They have home field advantage. And they were the healthier team in both instances. You look at the Packers, yes. Okay, David Bakhtiari, they're all pro left tackle. You know, missed the playoffs last year, the 20 CL. Missed the playoffs this year because he wasn't able to return fully healthy. But other than that... Aaron Rodgers, who's dealing with a toe injury for most of this past season, was fully healthy by the time the playoffs came around. His number one receiver in Devonta Adams, his running back in Adam, you know, uh, Aaron Jones, excuse me, some of the other guys like Zadarius Smith and Jair Alexander, who were out for most of the season, were able to return late in the year. 
The Packers were getting healthier at the perfect time last year, and they were still, for the most part, pretty healthy in 2020. So you had both instances of everything going the Packers' way. Home field, getting the bye, health. And both instances in the playoffs, Aaron Rodgers came up small. Aaron Rodgers was culprit number one of why the Packers didn't get to the Super Bowl each of the last two years. Last year in the NFC title title game, you had Tom Brady at one point in that game throw three consecutive picks. He struggled in the second half. He was begging Aaron Rodgers and co. to get back in the game. But of those three interceptions, only seven points total, the Packers could get off those three picks. Massive swing of momentum was not taken advantage of because Rodgers couldn't convert those turnovers into points. And eventually, as we know, late in the game, was unable to get a touchdown drive orchestrated. They kick a field goal and never see the ball again. Matt Floor got a lot of blame and deservingly so for that decision. But also, let's call for what it is. Aaron Rodgers, the MVP of the league in 2020, unable to deliver a big-time performance for the Packers to get them to the Super Bowl after getting everything he wanted and have everything line up for him perfectly to get there. This year, same thing, one seed by health. You get the 49ers team, and you lose to a San Francisco team that didn't score an offensive touchdown in the game. The only touchdown came off a blocked punt. Don't And I don't want to hear about anything with special teams uh, being the reason why they lost the game. Aaron Rodgers scoring only 10 points at home. Going down the field the first round of the game, scoring a touchdown, and doing nothing, nothing after that is inexcusable. He is... You know, culprit number one. He is the biggest reason why the Packers lost that game 13-10. to 10. Jimmy G played really bad for 57 minutes of that game. He made two big throws in the game, which is one more than Aaron Rodgers made. Think about that. Jimmy G making two big throws had more clutch throws in the game, on the road, in a freezing cold environment than Aaron Rodgers had at home. Rodgers is the biggest reason why they lost that game. And now two years in a row, the Green Bay Packers are bounced from the playoffs in large part because their MVP quarterback. He could not deliver in the postseason. Now, not all of the postseason failures have been on him, right? The fact that he hasn't gotten back to a Super Bowl since he won the first one back in 2010, it's not fully on him. He's gotten bad breaks like the onside kick in Seattle. He said bad breaks and injuries where sometimes they've been in just totally injury ravaged. Like in 2016 when they played the, the Falcons, had basically no one healthy, receiver-wise. And you look at his stats, look, 45 postseason touchdowns in his career, 13 picks. So he still has played well and it still has kind of kept his low interception numbers down in the postseason like he has in the regular season. But for the most part, again, recently, not in totality, But recently, he has been the reason why the Packers have gone home early. So there is reason to doubt if you're someone in the Packers organization, is it really worth it? When we have needed him now most, he has come up short. So there is a reason to doubt if Aaron Rodgers can get it done. There is a reason why these questions are coming up. Because over and over and over again, you look, since 2010, you thought for sure the Packers would at least be in one more Super Bowl let alone win a Super Bowl. 
But obviously, as we know, that's not the case. But with that said, though, be- even though the postseason failures recently are justified, the doubts are justified, that's not an excuse. That's not a reason to move on to Jordan Love. That, to me, is not uh, enough of a reason to say, you know what, guys? We're done with Rodgers. We need to usher in the Jordan Love era. This is still a reigning two-time MVP. This is still someone who is tremendous in the regular season. This is still someone who can lead you to 13 of 14 victories in the regular season every single year, get you at bare minimum a home playoff game every single year. So I don't think you give up on you know chances getting there because you can't come through. I still think you hold on to Rodgers if you're the Packers because he's still by far your best option, and there's no guarantee with Love you can even win eight games, let alone 13 or 14. There's no guarantee you can ever get to the playoffs to where you have the, the ability to complain about not coming through compared to now where you are right now, where getting to the playoffs is a given with Aaron Rodgers, and now it's just about can you win or play well in those two or three games. Sometimes the playoffs are luck. And you know what? You get enough cracks, you get enough appearances, eventually you know you do get that luck one way or another. So if I was the Packers, I would absolutely still run it back, still bring him in. While you have doubts, yes, but those doubts are not enough for me to move on to Jordan Love and trade him. And if you were a team, if you're a fan, I should say of another team, the Denver Broncos, the Washington football team, the Tennessee Titans, who are interested in Aaron Rodgers. His recent postseason failures are absolutely no excuse why you shouldn't trade for the two-time reigning quarterback. You make that trade 10 times out of 10. The Broncos have no right to say, eh, look at what he's done the last two postseasons. We're done. We're out. We're going to go somewhere else. You still get Aaron Rodgers and you roll the dice. Because guess what? We have seen quarterbacks change their stripes in the playoffs. How about Denver? They're the perfect example. How about Peyton Manning? Right? Peyton Manning, as we know, for a large part of his career, was great in the regular season and struggled in the playoffs. That has always been what we've talked about in Peyton's career, his postseason struggles. His interception totals, his lack of touchdowns, and his teams never kind of coming through. Well, in Denver, after seeing a large sample size in Indy, he in four years made the Super Bowl twice and won one. Peyton Manning was able to play better in the playoffs in Denver and was able to get over the hump and eventually win the Broncos a Super Bowl. So just because you have struggled in the past, in playoff performances does not mean that is indicative of how you will play in future postseason games. Payton cleaned up those postseason struggles in a hurry. I think Aaron Rodgers would do the same. So for me, it's not enough of an excuse. If you're the Packers to move on from him, and if you're a team in the market for trading Rodgers to get second thoughts and say, you know what? Eh, I'm out. I'd rather not. I'm going to go somewhere else. You trade for Rodgers, and you hope that this is the year things line up and he wins. But those postseason doubts, those sources that Rob Domofsky are, are, is citing from ESPN in his article, that some within the Packers organization are wondering, kind of doubting, if Rodgers will ever be able to play well in January and February again, lead the team to the Super Bowl. I get those doubts, and they're valid, because we've seen the last few years everything work out for the for the Packers and Still no Super Bowl in large part because of how Aaron Rodgers played. But with that said, 
No justification for trading him away or not trading for him if you are another team. You make that move, you still give up two or three first-round picks without even regretting it, without even thinking about it. So it's not a decision for me, honestly. I'm still even contemplating. I would not get second thoughts if I was a team um, in position to trade for him. You pull the trigger. You make the move. How about you? Would you have doubts? Again, we saw how 2021 ended. We saw how 2020 ended. Rodgers has lost the last, what, four NFC title games? Didn't even make it there this year? Really struggled? Is that enough to give you pause if you're a Packers fan of bringing him back? Or is that enough to give you pause if you're another fan of any of the other 31 teams that could make a trade for Rodgers? Is that enough for you to say, you know what? Ah, I'm not going to do it. I'd rather go somewhere else. I'd rather see, you know, and risk it with someone else than I would bring in Rodgers in. So love to hear your thoughts. Facebook, Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Twitter, WWSRN underscore radio, at Ryan Hickey Show on Twitter as well. We'll get your thoughts on Aaron Rodgers if you are having any second thoughts about either trading for or keeping the two-time reigning MVP. And, we, and when we do return here to close out the show, Juwan Howard had the swing that went viral yesterday. What should his fate be? Should he still remain the coach of the Michigan Wolverines? We'll discuss that when we return us into the Ryan Hickey Show right here on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. It, it, it's the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Radio Network. Radio Network. Welcome back Welcome to back the Ryan Hickey Ryan Show. Show. Right here on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. And welcome back into the Ryan Hickey Show on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Happy President's Day Monday. If you're off, congratulations. If you're working like the rest of us, or some of us, I should say, most of us are probably off, actually. So I think I'm maybe one of the few people still working today. But enjoy, uh, or hopefully this we can make your workday a little bit more enjoyable here as we go to the top of the hour. So the big story today, big story really coming out of the weekend, was Jawan Howard, and how the Michigan-Wisconsin game finished, he struck a, a Wisconsin assistant coach, and now the future of Juwan Howard's in question. Suspended, firing, what should Michigan do? What should the discipline be for their head coach? I don't think Michigan really has a choice here. I think Michigan has to fire Juwan Howard. I don't see how he can coach another game for this team, and here's why. It's not just about what happened yesterday. It is not just for the fact that he struck an assistant coach. It's for the fact that this is not the first time this is something like this has happened. This is now starting to become a pattern for Juwan Howard, where he, for the second time in less than a year now, got into a almost physical altercation with the coach the first time, and yesterday did lead to violence. To where I don't see how you can trust him. You can't have your head coach acting like the way he did yesterday and there is previous evidence to show that he hasn't learned from his lesson. And forget just the optics for a second, right? I do think this action yesterday, this ending to the game, hurts Michigan on the court. So whether it's on the court results moving forward or whether it is now representation of the university, I don't see how you can justify Juwan Howard keeping his job. So we look at the incident yesterday, it's inexcusable what he did. Sure, okay. He claims he was upset because Greg Gard called a timeout 15 seconds left 
when Wisconsin's up by 15, the game's already over. Just take the inbounds delay or take, you know, take the turnover and move on. Let's close out the game. Juwan Howard, if you were that upset about a, uh, about a timeout usage, fine. Guess what? You're not the first coach to be upset about something that another coach has done. We have seen numerous and countless times head coaches losing their cool, whether it's with the referees, whether it's with their own players, or whether it's with another coach on an opposing staff. But you know what we haven't ever seen? Coaches going to, you know, do something about it. For the most part, coaches have restrained themselves. The reason why this is going so viral is in part because we have never seen this behavior from a head coach before. Outside of Woody Hayes striking a Clemson player and then getting fired for it, we've always been able to see head coaches restraining themselves and never, you know, going to violence in terms of solving their issues or, or showing their frustration. When you're a head coach, part of your role, part of your duty is to be a massive leader of men or women. That, you know, involves, entails calming down situations, de-escalating situations, not pouring more gasoline, throwing a match, and really just dropping a bomb on the situation like Juwan Howard did yesterday. I don't want to hear about Greg Gard starting it. I don't want to hear about him, you know, touching his arm, and all of a sudden that, you know, gives uh, Juwan Howard a license to basically throw hands. The situation was just verbal. It was going back and forth. It was a coach's squabble that, okay, fine. We've seen that before. You're upset. Another coach is upset. They're trying to explain themselves. You don't like what he's saying. They're cursing. You know, he's cursing you out. You're cursing them out. Fine. We've seen it plenty of times. But to then, as you are getting carried away, as things do start to simmer down, to so go back into the scrum and, and try to strike in a, uh, and landing a strike on an assistant coach is uncalled for. That situation was going to diffuse until Jawan Howard came back in and landed a strike on the Wisconsin assistant coach. And then even equally as bad, after the game, took absolutely no accountability. Didn't say I'm sorry. Cited self-defense as the reason why he felt like you know he had to swing, even though he was on the Michigan side, he was surrounded by all his players, he's getting dragged away, Greg Gard short touched him, but is Greg Gard squaring up? If you were Juwan Howard, you were looking down, by the way, on the Wisconsin head coach because you're so much bigger than him. But no one in your face, no one threatening you, you're really now all of a sudden going to cite self-defense as a reason, as a justification for you to swing at another coach? What are you talking about? What are we doing? That's not what a leader does. That's not an excuse. And again, the biggest reason why I think that if you are Michigan, you can't keep Juwan Howard around is because this is not the first time this has happened. Last year at the Big Ten tournament, in a timeout, Juwan Howard charged towards Maryland head coach Mark Turgeon and had to be legitimately restrained. It's not one of those, you know, classic basketball fights where you are, are someone, the aggressor, and basically begging someone to hold you back to make you look tough. This was Juwan Howard truly trying to fight through the, the people on his staff and the players and the coaches that are holding him back because he was ready to throw hands with the Maryland head coach. He was ejected from the Big Ten tournament game. Cited again, self-defense as the reason why he felt like he had to protect himself. But this is starting to become a pattern where Juwan Howard is starting to be the aggressor, starting to try to fight coaches. So if you're in Michigan... How do you? How can you truly say that this this won't happen again?
Again, a one-off, fine. If this was an isolated incident, where it was out of character, we never seen like this, anything like this before happen, even though he struck the assistant coach and it's bad, a suspension, I'd say, okay, fine. Suspend him, he can't fire him. He'll learn from his lesson, and we'll all move on. But this is now the second time this has happened. How can you truly sit here and say, it won't happen a third time? This is twice in less than a year that we have seen this behavior from the Michigan head coach. You can't have your Michigan, a pristine university, someone that, you know, holds himself to high standards, have your head basketball coach trying to fight others. It's a bad look. It's bad optics. And not only is it bad optics, I think it also does hurt you on the court. Because let's be realistic here. The bottom line is the main motivator for Michigan and and most of these universities, and as it should be. If you can win, right, more will be tolerated, more will be overlooked, and there will be more ways to kind of finagle that coach or that CEO, if you're in a business, to have them keep their job. But in this situation, I think this latest outburst only hurts Michigan on the court as well. Number one, Coaches are going to see this and negatively recruit against Michigan. If you are a top-tier recruit and you have the ability to go to Michigan or Kansas or Ohio State or Wisconsin, you are going to have coaches talking about Jawan Howard, how you can't even trust he's going to be your coach because if you fight someone, maybe he'll get fired or maybe he'll get suspended for a long time. He won't even be coaching you. This is going to negatively impact recruiting because now I think this gives other coaches ammo to convince 18-year-olds, convince parents that Juwan Howard isn't the coach for your son. Not to mention, if you're on that team, one of the things coaches always, always preach is what? Keeping a calm head, staying poised in tense situations, and staying, you know, remaining calm late in games, right? You don't want to panic or lose your cool, become too emotional, and have that emotion ruin, you know, the last few minutes of the game whether it's being afraid of the moment, whether it's trying too hard, you want to remain calm and keep your poise. Well, how can you listen to your head coach preach those, those, you know, preach that at practice and at games when then you are seeing him at the end of games anytime then the pressure's on, him losing his cool, him escalating situations? I don't see how, you know, you can, if you're a player, listen to your coach say one thing and then see him do another and take him seriously. That is how coaches lose locker rooms, and that is how you have your kids stop listening to you when you don't practice what you preach. It's like with anything. If your boss is telling you, oh, you better be on time every single day, and then your boss is late every single day, you're going to start tuning them out. So if your coach is telling you one thing, stay calm, don't let the moment get to you, and then the next moment you're looking at him, he's trying to fight an assistant coach, losing his cool, how can you take him seriously? So I don't think Michigan has a choice here. I don't see how Michigan is able to keep Juwan Howard. I think it negatively impacts recruiting. It gives coaches now more ammo to recruit against Michigan. I think it makes it tougher for coaches to trust Juwan Howard because, again, he's not practicing what he's preaching. And this is now the second time we have seen the Michigan head coach get into an altercation with another coach. The first time in the Big Ten tournament, it did not result in any physicality. Right, He was held back, but he was trying his damnedest to get over to Mark Turgeon to give him a piece of his thoughts. But now, in the second incident, it was even worse than the first. 
a strike was landed as the situation started to de-escalate. We saw Juwan Howard pour gasoline, light the match, and throw it on, on the fire. Absolutely blew up the entire situation that was going to be diffused and, until he decided to try to strike an assistant coach and land that strike. I don't see how Michigan can keep him. I don't see how Michigan can justify keeping Jawan Howard as their head coach moving forward. We'll get a decision sh- uh, shortly here. I don't think a suspension is enough because, again, this is not the first time we have seen this. This has become a pattern of behavior. You cannot have your head coach acting like this. I think it only hurts Michigan on the court going forward. So that is how we will end this President's Day edition of the Ryan Hickey Show on the Worldwide Sports Network. Appreciate all of you tuning in on this Monday. Whether you're off, we appreciate you still keeping your routine. And whether you're working, hopefully, we got you through the first part of work a little bit easier and made your morning a little bit more enjoyable. We will be back on Thursday. So between now and then, as always, stay safe. Stay sane, and we'll talk to you on Thursday right here on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. It, it, it's the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Radio.